Hello, Christ community, uh, whether you're at 15th Street or uh, West Campus uh, Traditions Venue, uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, I am so excited about all that God is doing here at Christ Community. We want you to know that you matter, you belong, and that you can make a difference in our community and around the world. And one of the ways this difference making can happen is through our For the City and Beyond vision, in which we as a church are focusing our hearts on nine specific areas of need, seeking to bring the love of Christ into those areas. And each week I've kind of been trying to share a story or just give an update in a particular area of this vision. Well, today I wanted to give a brief update, a financial update. Um, thanks to all of you who uh, participated in the Big Give launch of this vision. So far we have received over a half a million dollars uh, given towards this vision, which is incredible. Also our three-year commitment total is increasing. We are now just shy of $4.6 million in commitments, which is awesome. We are excited and able to move forward in all nine initiatives, including our West Campus. Our heart is to reach more people for Jesus in this growing region by building a, a West Campus on the land that we were given on West 10th Street. And I know, I know that a number of you <clears throat> have maybe been wondering, so is that still going to happen since we're short of our $7 million goal? The answer is absolutely. We believe God has called us to do this and that he is going to provide the wisdom and the additional resources needed for this to happen. So we're exploring some different options, including some partnerships, some grants, as well as the possibility of rolling the project out in phases. But we are moving forward. And we are so grateful for those of you who believe in this vision and are investing financially in it. As we have seen so many times over the last 25 years, God is faithful. We just want to humbly follow his leading and trust him in that journey. So please keep praying for these things. Feel free to go out and prayer walk the land. No one will arrest you, okay? You can prayer walk the land on that new property. Um, pray as you drive by that land. Let's just believe God to do what he promises, to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine so that more people's stories can be changed. I mean, that's what all of this is. This is all about changing people's stories. So thanks to so many of you who are being, who are a part of that. Um, if, if you haven't yet made a financial commitment to this and you're interested in doing so, it is not too late. Uh, you can pick up a packet in the lobby or you can go online to forthecityandbeyond.org. Okay, so two weeks ago, we began a teaching series entitled Holy Freedom, how we can break free from the habits and behaviors that are negatively impacting our lives. You know, it's so unfortunate that the word holy is so misunderstood today. It's either used as a preface to a cuss word, right? Holy Toledo, okay. Um, or, or it's viewed as, as being a prudish, restrictive, oppressive, boring lifestyle. Both of which totally miss the mark. To be holy is to be whole. It is to live the life we were created to live, a life of joy, of freedom, and peace, and wholeness. And so in this series, we're looking at a section of scripture in Colossians chapter 3, and we're learning about how we can experience wholeness, holiness. Um, two weeks ago, we laid a critically important foundation. We talked about how holiness is not ultimately about behavior. 
It is not about rules and rituals and regulations. Holiness is ultimately about the heart, setting our heart, setting our affection, our desires upon Jesus. And then last week, Pastor KJ talked about the importance of the mind, setting our minds on Jesus, which brings us to Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. And in these two verses, Paul begins to apply this holiness concept to a very specific and very relevant area of our lives, and that is our sexuality. God invites us, actually commands us to experience holy sexuality. He longs for us to experience sexual wholeness and the freedom and the joy and the life that come from that. So let me read beginning in verse 5 of Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is God's word. Okay, so in this passage, Paul answers for us three questions as it relates to this issue of sexual wholeness. What is sexual wholeness? Why is it so important? And how, third, how we can experience it. So if you're a teenager, you're a college student, a single or single again adult, a married person of any age, a parent, this message is for you, okay? So what is sexual wholeness? What does it look like to be holy in our sexuality? Well, in these verses that we just read, Paul gives us a, a, a vivid picture of what sexual wholeness looks like, a clear picture of God's standard, God's will regarding our sexuality. He begins by urging us to avoid sexual immorality. That's at the start of this verse here. This Greek word used here refers to any sexual involvement outside of marriage. So sleeping around, sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend, having an affair, prostitution. No, notice here, it's not sex that's forbidden. It's a particular expression of sex. We need to understand a very important truth. God is for sex, okay? He invented it. Our sexuality is not a bad or a dirty thing. In fact, what the Bible clearly articulates is that sex is a holy thing when it's used according to how it was designed. And in Genesis 2, we see what holy sex looks like. Holy sex is this amazing spiritual and physical union between a husband and wife. It is the offering of ourselves to our spouse as an expression of committed covenantal love. In that context, sex is a beautiful, life-giving experience of love. What sin has done is take sex out of this committed loving context and cheapen it by making it primarily about physical pleasure, where, where neither party is officially committed to the relationship. In fact, often they barely know each other. And the other thing that sin has done is, is to make sex an ultimate thing. The idea that if you're not having sex, you're, you're, you're missing out on real life. Um, but, but sex can't give you life. It can't give you life. For all of us, single and married, we need to remember that God is the only one who can fill our heart with ultimate love and ultimate meaning. Our society is telling us, oh, you have sex with it. No, no, no. God is the one that fills our, our lives with that. So in verse 5, Paul then mentions impurity, lust, and evil desires. These words speak of a sexual standard that is much higher than simply the issue of actual intercourse. Sexual wholeness includes our heart and our thought life as well. So Jesus made this point in Matthew 5, 27, when he said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, from God's perspective, sexually lusting after another person is akin to adultery. So sexual wholeness is a wholeness of heart and mind and body. Now I realize this is an incredibly high standard, especially in our sexually charged culture where porn is easily accessible over our, on our televisions or our cell phones, where sex outside of marriage has become normal, even expected, where sexual experimentation is encouraged and sexting is increasingly common. It is easy, it's very easy for us to just kind of go with the current of our society, to justify what we do and entertain ourselves with because everyone else does it. All my friends say it's okay. See, I, I want us to stop here for just a moment and let this sink in. God, our creator, declares that these things that we just talked about are not his will for us. They cheapen and diminish our sexuality. They rob us of sexual wholeness. Very few voices in our culture are telling us the truth about sexuality. We have to choose who we're going to believe, who we're going to follow. Which leads to the second question that Paul answers in this passage. Why is sexual wholeness so important? Why is it that big of a deal? This is huge and a very important question because our society continually communicates to us that it's not, that it, that it's not important, that these standards we're talking about are archaic and, and prudish, you know, that if you follow God's standard, you're going to be missing out on real life. So is that, is that the case? Well, in this passage, Paul reveals to us why sexual wholeness is so important. Look again at verses five and six, or listen to me here as I read this. <coughs> Excuse me. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is, is coming. Notice, Paul says that because of these sexual sins, the wrath of God is coming. Now, this word wrath here refers to God's anger, his absolute abhorrence for sin. Now, in our society, people, and maybe some of us here, we have a hard, people have often have a hard time with this idea of God's wrath. You hear people say, I, I can't worship an angry, vengeful God. How could a God be loving and filled with wrath at the same time? He sounds more like a moral monster. I, I can't follow a God like that. You know, we hear people say things like it. And I understand, I understand that initial aversion to the idea of God being filled with anger and wrath, but I want us to think a bit more deeply about this. What does wrath represent? Let me ask it this way. Let's say you find out that a friend of yours has been sexually molesting his daughter for the past three years. How do you feel about that? Does that make you angry? Of course, to not feel anger would be inhuman. Does it bother you when you hear that about how right now girls as young as 12 years old in India, are being forced to sexually service 10 to 12 men every day? Does that bother you? Does that make you angry? Absolutely. Why is that? Because love and wrath are intimately connected. You can't love without feeling anger and grief when people are violated and hurt. 
So is it really fair to say that God is a moral monster because of his wrath when you and I also feel wrath towards certain sins? I mean, God's wrath is rooted in his love. Sexual sin hurts people. It damages relationships. It destroys marriages. It impacts our emotional health. The the pattern of sexual behavior advocated on television doesn't show the emotional toll it leaves on women and men when they they sleep around looking for love, when they end up, you know, wake up feeling used or empty. See, sexual sin leaves devastation in its wake. That's why God feels wrath towards this sin. He doesn't want people hurt. He doesn't want people experiencing emptiness and, and pain and shame. Okay, so how is God's wrath poured out? How do we experience God's wrath as it relates to this particular area of sin? We typically think of God's wrath as being reserved for the final judgment when everyone will stand before God and those who are in Christ are protected from God's wrath because Jesus took that wrath upon himself on the cross and those who are not in Christ will receive God's wrath, his judgment upon their sin. And all of that is absolutely true. The wrath of God is real and at some point in history it will be poured out upon all those who reject the provision of Jesus. But there is another aspect of God's wrath that we often lose sight of, especially as Christians. There is a part of God's wrath that we can experience now. It's connected to the natural consequences of our sin. And this is especially true with sexual sin. Look with me at Romans chapter 1 where we see this clearly described. Actually, I'll read it here. Um, You can turn there if you want. Romans 1. We're going to spend a little time here beginning in verse 18. Here's what we read. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Notice the present tense. Paul says God's wrath is being poured out on those who suppress the truth. So how do they suppress the truth? Let me continue reading here. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, notice how God's wrath is being poured out. It's through the consequences of of, of people's sins. It begins with sinful choices to believe a lie, which then leads to more destructive choices, which Paul describes here, a darkening of people's hearts and minds. In other words, they stop thinking clearly. Their their desires get messed up, leading them into further bondage and further darkness. And did you notice how Paul specifically relates this to sexual sin? I mean, the relevance of this passage is incredible. It was written nearly 2,000 years ago, and yet it describes what we see all around us and what we experience ourselves. I mean, look again at verse, or listen to verse 22 here. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. People start turning to images, sexual images. 
They start worshiping created things rather than their creator. That's what porn ultimately is. That's what pornography is. It's an act of worship. We're looking at this image. We're looking to this image to give us life in some way, to make us feel whole, accepted, satisfied, things that only can be found in a relationship with God. Now, now at this point, many people may say, well, what, what's the harm of porn? I mean, seriously, well, what's the harm of pornography? It's only an image. It's no big deal. Well, I want us to look at, at verse 24, which contains what I think are four of the most frightening words in the entire Bible. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over. What does that mean? It means he takes his hands off and he lets sin have its natural course in our lives. He lets sin begin. He allows sin to begin to increasingly control our lives. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. In fact, we may even feel less and less convicted over our sin over time, right? Initially, we feel kind of convicted, convicted about it. But over time, we feel less and less convicted. When that happens, watch out. It is not a good sign. God is releasing you to your sin. And that's a scary place to be. Verse 26, we read it again. God gave them over to shameful lust. Verse 28, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. He is describing this progression of sexual sin that starts innocently enough with some images, and then it, but it leads down a road of increasing lusts and impure passions, resulting in people, here's the deal, Resulting in people freely choosing to do things that ought not to be done. See, in other words, the sin begins to take more and more control of us. That's how sexual sin works. And, it, and that is how God's wrath is being poured out against this sin. It is not a lightning bolt from heaven. It is not a tornado or a hurricane or whatever. No, no, no. God's wrath is revealed in that he gives us over to this sin so that we become less and less able to resist and our minds and our hearts begin to think that this pathway is actually the best pathway. Darkens our minds. It's, it's frightening. So I want to get really practical here because what Paul is describing is an amazingly accurate picture of what pornography is doing in our lives, in our families, in our children, in our society. For one thing, as Paul just says here, Pornography deadens our hearts. It lessens our ability to connect in real relationships. Research has found that after men are exposed to pornography, they rate themselves as less in love with their wife than men who didn't see porn. Another study revealed that after looking at pornography, people were more critical of their spouse's appearance, sexual performance, and displays of affection. Porn kills our capacity to love and to experience relationship. It increases our sense of dissatisfaction and loneliness. I see so many men just withdrawing from their spouse, from their relationship with God, from life. And porn is often at the root of that, just kind of checking out. In addition to deadening our hearts, porn distorts our minds. 
which Paul also refers to here. Our thinking becomes darkened. See, porn causes us to view people as objects, objects for our pleasure. And we just start seeing everyone through that. Everyone at work, we just, you know, just starts, we just think that. It also gives a warped understanding of sex, totally warped understanding of sex, which messes with marriages. I mean, sex is no longer, in porn, the porn world, sex is no longer about love. It's all about getting what we want. Totally distorts what, what sex is all about. In addition to our hearts and minds, pornography damages our bodies. More and more studies are revealing a connection between porn and erectile dysfunction, even among young men. In addition, porn is highly addictive. Recent brain research has revealed that porn literally functions like cocaine in our bodies. There is a physiological thing happening just like cocaine. It dramatically increases our dopamine levels, which results in an actual rewiring of our brain, creating new brain pathways that keep leading us back to this behavior. And every time we do it, it creates a deeper pathway, just like cocaine. And not only that, and it's also like cocaine, the next time you look at porn, you need a bigger hit to get the same amount of pleasure which leads to image, images that are increasingly graphic or deviant. I mean, the, the combination right now, the combination of availability on our phones or wherever, of availability and secrecy of porn are creating a deadly combination that are, that, that's ensnaring the lives of millions of people, especially young people, especially young people. According to a very recent, I mean, it was literally a week ago, this research came out from a Barna study, 67% of male teens and young adult men seek out porn at least monthly. 67% are looking at porn monthly, at least monthly. 33% of women under the age of 25 seek it out at least once a month. When we as a society, when we as individuals continue to choose porn or other sexual sins, God gives us over to that sin. It takes more and more control of our lives. It impacts our thinking. It impacts our behavior. It impacts our relationships, all in negative ways. And the horrible irony is we are freely choosing this pathway. We are freely choosing it. So why is sexual wholeness so important? Because when we reject God's standard, we begin to head down a path of devastation, a path we freely choose. Which leads to a third question that Paul addresses here. How can we experience sexual wholeness? How can we experience sexual wholeness? Paul begins this passage with these words. Put to death Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. See, the good news is we don't have to live in this bondage. We can put it to death. Wherever we're at on this progression, we can put it to death. Now, the the foundation, so so we can stop this this progression of sin in our lives. We, We have the power to walk in freedom and sexual wholeness. So how do we do that? How do we put these things to death? Well, the foundation is what we've been talking about for the past two weeks from verses one to four. It's all about our union with Jesus, where we set our hearts and our minds upon him. That's the foundation. It's about our desires being captivated by him more than these other things. And we already talked about that for the last couple weeks. But what does this look like, practically speaking, 
in the area of sexuality? What does it look like to put these things to death? When we think about our struggle in this area, we need to realize that it has three components. I think it's helpful to look at this, that it has three components, weakness, warfare, and wounds, okay? Um, These are described more fully in Michael Cusick's excellent book, uh, Surfing for God, uh, which is listed as a resource on a resource page that we have put together. I'll talk more about that a little later. But so the first area is weakness. I mean, let's just acknowledge this area of sexual purity is a huge area of weakness for so many of us. It may be a vulnerability to adultery or fantasy or sleeping around or pornography or same-sex sexual experiences. We, we all have areas of sexual brokenness. We all do. We all have areas of sexual struggle. The Bible doesn't put these, in, these struggles in categories, you know, as if, oh, this is less significant than that. It doesn't do that. As if, you know, lust is less significant than sleeping around, putting these categories on sexual sin. It doesn't do that. All of them, all of them, reflect our brokenness. All of them reflect our own brokenness, our own weaknesses. And when we start to put, and, and, you know, I don't know, negatively look at other people, you know, and there's their struggle in some particular area and we categorize, oh, that's really bad. But do we look at our own heart, our own weaknesses and realize all of this from God's perspective, all of it is just is brokenness. It's unholiness as it relates to our sexuality. So how do we deal with an area of sexual weakness? Paul has a very enlightening perspective in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Look at what he says here. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. He doesn't say, stand up and fight. You can do it. No, he says, flee. He realizes the power that this area has in our lives. When we put ourselves in situations where our weakness will be tempted, we are not being smart. So one aspect of putting the sin to death is to flee from it. In other words, do all you can to avoid even being in a situation where this will be a struggle. So for instance, parents, <coughs> excuse me, we need to do all we can to protect our children from these influences. And the, the age of exposure to pornography is getting younger and younger and younger. I think now it's like eight years old. The average age of the first exposure to pornography. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. Parents, we need to do all we can to protect our children from these influences. If you don't have parental controls on your cable, your internet, your child's computer, their smartphone, etc., you are basically putting them in a dangerous, vulnerable situation every day. And I'm talking about teenagers as well. We're putting in a dangerous, vulnerable situation every day. We would never, as parents, we would never drop them off alone in a neighborhood with sexual predators. And yet we often let them roam on the internet without any filters, without any accountability. Our job as parents is to protect our kids. And this won't happen automatically. They may say they're doing okay, but they lie, okay? You know, so, uh, you know, it's just, it's an area of shame. We don't like to talk about it. We need to assume it's not okay. Um, So, and I realize that your kids are probably... Our kids are more technologically savvy than any of us, right? I understand that. And sometimes that makes us intimidated. It's okay. You can do this, okay? You can get up to speed on these areas. Let me make some recommendations here. For computers... I recommend Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is like eight bucks a month or something. There are other free ones I'm not as familiar with. I'm very familiar with Covenant Eyes. You can control what sites they visit. You can control the hours of use. So at 11 o'clock at night, 
it won't let them on the internet. Um, you can get weekly reports. They'll email them to you. It also functions as a filter. That's for computers. For phones, I recommend MobiSip. And these are on the resource page that we put together, so, so we'll have more details. But MobiSip is what it represents, an app you use for phone, and you disable all the other browsers on the phone. Both of these have websites where parents can get up to speed, all these resources for parents, how to use these and everything. But those are the two I recommend. So I'm talking to parents, but now let's just talk personally. This goes to us personally. Where are we vulnerable to temptation? See, for me personally, I have covenant eyes on my computer and Raylene has the password. My wife Raylene has the password. I put safeguards on my phone. We have a password on our Roku streaming system at home. I know my weaknesses and I don't know the password there. I know my weaknesses. It is so much easier for me when I eliminate the opportunities for these things to surface in my life rather than to say, oh, I'm strong enough to resist. I'm not. If you, your boyfriend, are struggling with purity, what can you do to avoid that situation? I talked with a husband who was struggling with physical attraction to a woman at work. It was obviously mutual, and he saw where this was headed, and he asked to be transferred to a different location, which happened to work in his situation. So a huge step in this battle is just admitting the areas in which we're weak and then taking action to flee, to avoid, to not put ourselves in situations that we know will be difficult. Now, at this point, let, let me just acknowledge that many, many of us are sitting here knowing we've messed up, knowing we have failed in this area, we, and we're struggling. And maybe there are some of us here who are just struggling with the fact that we aren't even struggling that much. You know, it's just you've gone down this road so much, you're not even struggling that much. Until this sermon, you were feeling totally okay about this stuff. And let me just say, this message is for you. This message is for you. Let God, invite God into your sexuality and receive his grace, which will cover our sins and our weaknesses and failures and shame. Jesus' blood covers all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, including sexual sins. His blood covers all of our sins. So let his forgiveness wash over you and give you a new start, no matter what has happened in your past. Jesus' blood, the cross is big enough to give all of us a new start. Every day, a new start. Okay, so one area is the area of weakness. <coughs> Second area is warfare. We have an enemy that loves to entice us to give in to sexual sin. So what is his primary strategy? Lies. He lies to us, right? He whispers to us, go ahead and click on that link. You deserve a break. It will make you feel better. Besides, your wife is already in bed. I mean, one of his biggest lies as it relates to our sexuality is this. You've already, you, you've already failed so many times in this area. Why fight it? It's a total lie. But he, he does this. You've messed up so many times. God could never love you anyway. This is, there's just no hope for you. You know, all lies. So how do we combat lies? With the truth. Remember Romans 1, Paul said, they exchange in this progression of sin, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. See, that's how the progression of sin gets momentum, right? They exchange the truth of God for a lie. So how do we break that? Do the opposite. <laughs> exchange the lies of Satan for the truth. No, this, this website won't bring me life. In fact, it's, I know where this leads. I've been there. It's just going to bring me under its power. I don't want to avoid my relationship. I want to pursue my wife. It's hard instead. It's speaking truth, right? 
I don't want the sin to control me more and more. I don't want it to damage my mind and my heart. I'm speaking truth. I have been given Jesus' holiness. I've been given that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These things are true. See, what, what we're doing is exactly what KJ talked about last week. We're focusing our minds on the truth of who we are in Christ and the, the life that we truly want to live. We focus our minds there. I want to be free. I don't want to go towards that. It's truth. There's a really cool prayer. Again, prayer is so critical on this, this area because what happens, a couple of things here, what happens in our sexual involvements is sometimes, I was just talking with someone about this um, recently, about soul ties happen, where when, when given to sexual sin in particular, there are these soul ties that occur with the people that we have been engaged in this activity with. And so it's really, really important to bring those things to the cross in prayer, to break those soul ties at the cross. In fact, this particular person was talking about how he had a sexually immoral past and a lot of involvement in it. his first marriage. There was a lot of things going on with both of them. And then, and then um, he, he uh, got married a second time, and then he began to experience physical some physical symptoms, fatigue symptoms, and, um, and uh, for two years, and he went to get prayer, and in this prayer time, they explained the importance of just breaking these soul ties, so he did that, brought all these encounters, one at a time, just to the cross in prayer. He was healed immediately. He was healed immediately. So prayer is so important. Prayer is a critical part, and this kind of warfare prayer is so important. One of the prayers that I encourage you to consider looking at is a really cool prayer um, by John uh, that's put together by John Eldridge. Um, it's called the Daily Prayer, and you can find the link on our, our webpage on the resource page that we're putting together. But it's a prayer you can pray every day or however often, but it goes through, it just declares who you are in Christ, and it, it just prays this protective covering over yourself, your family. It's just it's a great resource, learning how to pray. Um, theologically powerful prayers, especially as it relates to this area. And the third issue is wounds. Wounds. Often our weaknesses and our warfare are fed by some emotional wounds that we carry. And wounds so often lead us into just sexual things. So maybe it's sexual abuse we experienced in the past. Maybe it's a deep-seated fear of failure or insecurity that's rooted in some painful memories in our past. And those things are kind of what's feeding the shame we feel, this rejection we feel, feeds this, this sexual sin. Because when we do this, oh, suddenly we feel life. It's temporary, but it, it feeds this insecurity, this fear of rejection or whatever. So there may be some wound. And so we can try to overcome habitual areas of sin just by, you know, the, the things I've been talking about. But if they're rooted in some of these heart wounds, we're often going to be spinning our wheels thinking, why don't I ever get better in this? Because it's because we're not getting to the root. Sometimes there's a root there. So what we need is for Jesus to enter into these painful memories in our past, these core lies that we've believed and bring his truth and his life and his healing. So Christian counseling can help um, if, if, the, if the counselor is aware of these kinds of things, of biblical you know, counseling, that kind of thing. Also, we have a ministry here that helps people walk through issues like this through a practice, um, a process called sozo prayer. Sozo is the Greek word for salvation, but um, <clears throat> being saved, being delivered. And so you can find out more information about this on our website. The ministry is called Hope Abounds. Hope Abounds. So if you think a prayer like that might be helpful, you can call the church office and set up a time. In order to effectively put to death these areas of sexual struggle in our lives, we need, to, we need to do so addressing all three of these areas, okay? Our weaknesses, 
That's, that's a part of this. Just flee. Where are we weak? Secondly, part is just the, our war, the warfare. Acknowledging this enemy's lying to us and how do we do that? Breaking soul ties, that kind of thing. And then our wounds. See, the more we do that in all these areas, the more we do that, the more fully we can walk in sexual wholeness. The more fully we can walk in the joy-filled, freeing life God wants us to experience. This experience of sexual wholeness is not easy. We all know that it is not easy. This is one of the most difficult and challenging things we face, but it is worth it. It is worth it for our own emotional, spiritual, physical, and relational health. It's worth it. Freedom is so much more enjoyable than the bondage, the guilt, the pain of sexual sin. So much more enjoyable. And God knows that, which is why he invites us into the freedom that he offers us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come? We know you've been speaking truth, and man, it's, sometimes it's hard. These are areas that so many of us here wrestle with and struggle with, and, and yet we thank you that what you offer us is love and life and freedom. And so I just want to pray you would come. I pray that you would come and you would speak to us. So let me just, let me just, we're just going to quiet our heart for a moment. Let me just ask, is there any area of sexual brokenness in your heart, in your life? And as the Lord brings that to mind, are you willing to, because maybe it's an area you thought, ah, it's no big deal, and just kind of, you know, and, and God's saying, hey, it's a big deal. Are you willing to repent of it? which means confess it, acknowledge it, own it before the Lord, and then ask his forgiveness. So let's just do that in the quiet of our heart. Just confess, just repent of this, acknowledge it to the Lord. And now ask Jesus for his forgiveness, for his cleansing. Jesus, thank you that your blood washes all of our sin. You cleanse us. Now I want to encourage, um, there may be, for some of us here, I know I'm moving through this prayer pretty quickly. For some of us here, we just need to get before the Lord and maybe... um, be more specific about these areas of sin and then just let the blood of Jesus cleanse you of all those, break those soul ties, whatever it is, but just to bring all those to Jesus, let him cleanse you. And now I just want us to think prayerfully about these things I talked about here, um, the idea of weakness. Where, where do we need to flee? <coughs> so Lord, I just want to pray you would bring to mind if there are action steps we need to take. Lord, I pray for parents here to realize, if they haven't already, realize the critically important role they play and to take control of these areas in terms of um, filters, whatever, just to protect their homes, protect their children, their family in their homes. 
So I just pray you'd give us the courage and a sense of urgency to take action just for the sake of our children. And I pray for all of us here, if there are areas of vulnerability for us at work or on our phones or computers or whatever, you would help us flee. You would help us put up filters, whatever we need to do, accountability, whatever we need, so that we can flee these areas of weakness. And I pray for the area of warfare. God, we would just have discernment. Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind the lies we're believing? Help help us recognize them. The minute it happens, when we're being lied to, and help us see in that moment the truth about where this is going to lead, that we would see truth, we would embrace truth, we would walk in truth of who you are and who we are in you. And finally, I want to pray for wounds. Lord, there are some of us here, and, and our sexual struggle is rooted in some wounds in our past that have gotten linked to sexual sin. And so we, we so often turn to the sexual sin as a way to bring comfort or numb the pain or whatever. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would begin help, helping us know if that's our situation. Reveal those things and help us know how to move towards them, whether it's through counseling or hope abounds, prayer ministry, whatever that looks like. We pray for healing because that's what you desire for us healing. So we invite you, Jesus, into those places of pain, into those painful memories and wounds. God, we just need your help. We live in a society where it is out of control. It is everywhere. We need your help. Would you give us a hunger for holiness? Would you give a hunger for wholeness? Would you give us a hunger for freedom? And thank you, God, that you you are the giver of these things. We ask for greater freedom and wholeness in our lives in this area. And I pray blessing on marriages. I pray blessing on singles. I pray blessing sexually, Lord. You would help us walk in wholeness and walk in freedom. And you would just continue to bring healing to places where there's been brokenness, Bring healing there. So we love you, God. We need you. We praise you, Lord. Holy Spirit, continue. Just as we, as we worship, you would continue to pour out healing and truth and life. So why don't we stand, whatever campus you're at here, why don't we stand as the worship team leads us. If you want to sit down at some point, that's totally fine. But let's, let's worship the Lord. Jesus set us free to worship you now. We love you. We need you, God.